All right, so we're going to talk about the main and the plain today. This is one of those phrases that has been around uh, sort of in the vineyard. And as we've been describing week to week, uh, sort of a simple bite-sized phrase to help us grab onto a larger truth that is a kingdom truth but also helps us understand our own identity, uh, who we are as vineyard people, as kingdom people, but in the context of the larger church. Now, you understand we, we talk about this a lot, that we uh, consider ourselves one flavor in, in the pot of the big C church. We, we have a unique flavor. We have a distinct, as we've been looking at these distinctives, uh, that define us as vineyard people, but we never want to lose sight of the fact that our context is as part of something larger than us. We are part of the big C church, the historic church, the global church. We are part of something the same way that you as an individual are part of something larger being in this body. This body is part of something larger in our movement, and our movement is part of all of historic and global Christianity. So that's how we want to frame things up. I want to start with this quote, um, and you actually can find this uh, if you go to the Vineyard uh, USA website. This is the statement that's made under this distinctive, but I thought it was helpful. John Wimber would always look back to what the scriptures say right on the page. We base everything we do on the main and plain teaching that Jesus gave. That, that, now, we're going to unpack this, and we're going to look at some things. We're going to define for you what, what is the main thing, and we're, then we're going to spend a time. Now, of course, we could cover lots of different things, but I've selected four things that I think are plain, that are clear, and that help define us that we're going to look at today. But basically what John is saying is we part of who we are connected to uh, the historic church is we are people of the scripture and the teaching of Jesus. Now, how many of you know, we wouldn't have to probably flip through here very long to find some things that are, would be a gray area or that would be debatable or that we might have to pull out some extra books off of the shelf and look at the, the rules of, of, of hermeneutics to determine how are we going to interpret this? How does this apply to our context? Right. And, and, and thank God for us as part of a movement, we have people in our movement that do that scholarly work to dig into the depths of the truths of Scripture um, that, you know, the average person on a Monday may not be able to do that with every topic, right? But we want to base our primary purpose and mission on the main and plain teaching of Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? And we want to make sure and keep the main things the main things. Before I go any further, I actually want to let another uh, important voice in the Vineyard Movement share a little bit about what this means to her. Uh, this is a, it's actually two clips cut together, so it's going to fade out in the middle and come right back. But this is a little less than two minutes from Eleanor Mumford, who her and her husband John uh, live in London, but they oversee the Vineyard internationally. They're sort of... Uh, at this point, sort of operate as, as the, the matriarch and patriarch, if you will, but they oversee just, uh, I thought I'd just explain this a little better. For us in the U.S., Vineyard USA is an association, right, that we are a part of, churches all over this country. There are numbers of other vineyard associations all over the globe 
South Africa, uh, Northern Ireland and the UK, the Nordic countries. There's all these different parts of the globe where there are sort of associations of vineyard churches. And John and Eleanor help give oversight and leadership to the leaders of all of those associations. Does that make sense? So just so you have a context of who Eleanor is. But let's take just a second. Um, and he, this is from a conference uh, in 2016 called the Vineyard Global Family, where Eleanor is giving us just a little, this is just a little snippet of her talk about the main and the plain. We talk a lot about distinctives. I want to look at one or two of them. We talk about the main and the plain. The, we are for the main and the plain. What do we mean by this phrase? We mean keeping the main thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing, and not deviating from it. That the things that are central to our faith remain central. That they are not allowed to slip to the periphery. That the things that are characteristic of pure, unvarnished Christianity remain that way. That the things that remain front and center do remain front and center. Our love for the scriptures, our belief in the gospel, all the wonderful things that we hold so dear. That we don't drift off and get caught up with something rather esoteric or just plain weird. Oh, God save us from the weird. We are evangelicals. We are for the gospels, the gospel. It matters to us. It's what we carry. It's what is so precious, as Paul says, as you hold out the words of life to those who are perishing. That's what we do. That's what we carry. The gospel is the good news of salvation. It is the gospel. And it's everything that our world needs because anyone who is without Christ is without hope in the world. But we have him. We have him. And like John said, this is all about Jesus. It's all about his gospel. And it's all about taking it to the lost. It's the main and the plain and it's precious. So a couple things I want to point out. But the first thing I wanted to do was simply say that, that in, in the simplest terms... The answer, uh, as we're trying to define it today, about what is the main thing, it's the gospel of the kingdom. There are so many other things that are important about who we are. And, and people will often ask, uh, it, I get this question a lot, have any of you? What denomination is Vineyard? Well, although we've not always historically embraced the term, we are our own denomination. And then the question is, well, are you evangelical? Are you charismatic? Are you Pentecostal? Well, sometimes the answer is yes. <laughs> but I find it interesting to say that now, now I admit this is secondhand. I did not, but I have, I have been told multiple times by those who personally knew him and were around in those days that John Wimber would have mostly identified as an evangelical so long as it didn't exclude a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so what John tried to do was take the best of... of now, I'm going to pause here because in our current cultural moment, that word sometimes carries a lot of baggage, right? The word evangelical doesn't always... It might bring up uh, political movements and, and things that... You know, I'm not sure I want to identify with that. Or maybe you do. What we need to do is go back farther and go wider and, and, and define the terms based on, again, the historic church, 
the global church. And we don't have to choose it. This is not an either or. It's, it's a both and. But John would say that we wanted to be part of orthodox evangelical Christianity. In other words, we want to operate in continuity with the historic church, with the, the main and the plain, the, the foundational doctrines of what it means to be a Christian in the world, of which Jesus' primary message was announcing the, go- the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, that, that the kingdom has come near that it is available and all that now we could spend a whole message and we often have unpacking what all is, is wrapped up in that. But if you go through especially the synoptic gospels and, and, and read all the things that Jesus said and did in his ministry, you will find one extremely common theme. It's the message of the gospel of the kingdom. He came to announce, proclaim, demonstrate the gospel reality of the kingdom and in doing so, destroy the works of the devil. And so, we as vineyard people can get sometimes caught up in secondary things. So, I don't want you to hear what I'm saying. I mean, well, now we're going to, we're, we're trying to de-emphasize our relationship with the Holy Spirit. No, John said that, that was central. But we have to hold it in tension. We can't ever lose sight of the fact that we are in a battle that there are people in this world that have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That that is a central and important part of our ministry. Now, what's unique about us as vineyard people is how we contextualize that and how we infuse our kingdom theology and our being naturally supernatural and how we infuse uh, Holy Spirit ministry with serving the poor. All of these other distinctives come together and form how we do that. But may we never become a people that lose sight of the fact that it is our call, it is our mission, it is our command from our Lord to carry the gospel of the kingdom to the uttermost parts of the earth so that men and women can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so they can be awakened and step into the reality of the kingdom. Let's go, if you would, with me to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at this for just a second, and then we're going to move to some of the uh, specific plain things. But If you would read with me here, Matthew 4.23. Now, this is just a snippet because I've got a lot of different scriptures to cover today, so we're not going to do the whole stories. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And, and we're going to save the rest for now. But, but that sort of is the, is the summary of what Jesus did. Now, I want to pause here and say... Um, Actually, let's save that for later. I'm getting ahead of myself. The good news of the kingdom. Let's flip over to Mark, if you would. I'm going to look at a similar verse in Mark chapter 1. It says later, oh, sorry, Mark chapter 1, this is verse 14. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last. So, so what I'm, I'm trying to point out here, because we could find n- numerous times where this is, is mentioned, but I love how this says that he came to preach that good news, that gospel, but then it helps define it. The time promised by God 
has come at last. One of the things that we read uh, in the Great Commission, uh, when Jesus talks about what we're commissioned to do, part of what's wrapped up in there is that the time of the kingdom has come. Like, And so part of what we understand as vineyard people and as kingdom people is that when we think about that tension that we've talked about so many times between this present evil age and the future state of the kingdom reality, we, we want to recognize that, that that future state has actually already begun now. And we're going to look at that a little more later. But it's like the thing that, that the historic church prior to Jesus coming had been longing for and hoping for, and some almost missed because they didn't quite understand what they were looking for at the time. You know, they thought that Jesus was going to come and establish a, a political order and, and, you know, sort of take over things in, in that way. And, and uh, he's like, no, like that's my, my, my kingdom is not of this world. But we live in a time now where that, that future reality has begun. It's not consummated. It's not fully here. But we need to never forget that that kingdom, that future reality is, is present, is available now. And we need to live in such a way that we are aware of that and we understand that. One of the ways I like to think about how do we sort of reconcile what is the main thing for the big church, the big C church, the, the global historic church, and how does that come down to our level? I like to think of it as rooms in a house, right? So there's this general call, there's this general mission, there's this message that Jesus had. And so it's like, that's for everybody. And we are part of everybody. So we need to latch on to that. But as some of you may know, I had a little bit of uh, time in my career where I did uh, professional furniture upholstery and interior design. And one of the things that you would do, uh, especially in consulting, is everything was about coordinating things, right? Um you know, you're coming in and, and you're redoing a room and it's like, you know, you want the paint colors on the wall and the flooring and the fabrics on the upholstery. Now, you don't want them to match. I mean, unless that's your look, you know, but but it's like you want things to work together. You don't you don't want them to contrast. But then you think, OK, but then I'm going to go over here, to this other room. Well, I don't want this room to look the same as, you know, I don't want the bathroom to look exactly like the living room. But yet I still want them to be in harmony. Like you look at the whole home and you want sort of a flow. You might have a, like a an overall color palette, but then it, it looks different in each room depending on its function. For us, as, as one piece of the larger body of Christ, we want to be in harmony to the extent that we can. We One of the helpful, uh, another analogy to look at this, uh, this was so helpful um, just before I was coming on as, as pastor, uh, one of the things that was said at the National Conference for Vineyard was, and there was a lot of talk about transition, our, our movement. You know, there are numbers of, of pastors that are retiring. There's lots of transition happening in our movement. 
And they said, it's not necessary for those of us younger pastors coming in, succeeding some of the ones that are stepping into a new season in life, it's not important that you try to duplicate or copy what the person before you did. But perhaps you should try to rhyme. So in other words, I don't have to try to be Ben, and I don't think he wants me to be. Right? I can be me. We can be us. We can, we can keep going. But yet, we don't want to suddenly become something totally different. We want to rhyme with what's gone before. We want to build on the foundation that was laid. And in the same way, we relate to the... Now, that doesn't mean the global church always gets everything right. No. But we want to be sort of in continuity. We, we, want, to, we want to flow together we want to recognize that this is our unique room in the house, but we're still in a larger house. We're, we're like, we're not in charge of, of everything. Um, and so I find that, that helpful. Now, I want to move now. We've sort of defined what is the main thing. It's the gospel of the kingdom, and uh, we can dig into more of that later. But what are, and I just put some of, because we don't have time for all of them, but what are some of the plain things? What are some of the foundational things that help ground us more than just as vineyard people, but as spirit-filled, uh, another term that's often used to describe us because we don't fit neatly in some of the other boxes is empowered evangelicals. You know, So we identify with the best of evangelicalism, but we also have relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so how do we be grounded in that uh, as much as we are in our own identity as vineyard people? Well, just before I do, I just wanted to mention this. Um, some of you will be familiar, but there's this phrase, uh, hermeneutics, which is basically sort of a set of parameters that we use to interpret Scripture. And this is going to be helpful for us as we look at the really plain things today because we're not saying that there are things... Uh, that exist that are not plain. There, there's plenty of things that are not plain, right? But I also thought it was helpful just to give you this little tidbit. Now, there's several more rules than this. But just to summarize, one of the basic things uh, in hermeneutics, in, in trying to, as, as flawed humans, interpret the Word of God, is that we never want to build sort of a doctrine or a major theology like on a single scripture, now, we're going to look at some things today where we're only going to look at one or two because we don't have time to, you know, to dig in and, and cover everything that might support that. But it's important to understand that when we're looking at these plain things, they're built on that type of foundation. You can look at the broader context of all Scripture. You can find multiple sort of cross-references. That, that work can be done. And it's important that that's part of what grounds us we talk about the plain things. There are things that generally most of Orthodox Christianity would agree about. Now, I've tried to contextualize the, these to be meaningful to us, and I've basically broken them down into four categories that we're going to look at briefly this morning. And those four are belief in Jesus, relationship with Jesus, dependency on Jesus, and our future with Jesus. And we're going to look at each of those individually and, and, and sort of dig into the, the foundational truths that are wrapped up within those.
So first, belief in Jesus as the Son of God. Now, it may almost sound too simplistic, right, to even to even say this, but it's important. It, it's not universally accepted in all of Christianity, in all of those who, who would claim Christianity, to actually still say it's actually essential that we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That, that's like a requirement. And, and we identify with that in continuity with the global and historic church. Flip with me, if you will, to John 20, uh, verses 30 and 31. The disciples, it says, saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. This is foundational, that Jesus is the Messiah. If we uh, can, can sort of pretend with me here for a moment and put yourself in the shoes of, of sort of the, the pre-arrival uh, of Jesus believers. They were looking for and longing for a long-predicted coming Messiah who would come and do the things that he had promised. And as I mentioned already, you know, when he finally arrives on the scene, some of them, some of them almost missed it. Some of them did miss it, right? But there's this idea that, that they were looking for something that came in the person of Jesus. Now, we have the benefit, and, you know, we say in our culture, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. like, we have the benefit of now looking back to that which was done and figuring out how do we live now in light of that. But it's important that we understand Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And it's only in Jesus that we can attain this uh, life that we talk about. Real and meaningful, spirit-empowered life in the kingdom. It's only through Jesus. So I don't think I'm probably challenging you with that thought. You're probably all like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to sign up for that. Uh, I, I can say I believe in Jesus as the Son of God, and, and I hope so. But it's important for us to, to affirm that th- this is not, you know, when we talk about doing the stuff, that's really fun. We talk about kingdom theology, but we don't want to completely lose our identity, that we are still about the gospel of Jesus. Okay, so then to take that to the next step, Believing Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we realize that's, that's in sort of the order of things. That's not enough. Scripture would tell us even the demons believed like that he existed and knew who he was. And so we also need to have relationship with Jesus as Savior. Not only saying, yes, I, I believe you're the Son of God. I, I recognize you are who you say you are. But to actually respond to Jesus' invitation to actually come into a personal relationship with him. That, that my experience of, of spirituality, if you want to use that term, is not um, just communal, although that's a part of it. It's, it's an important part. But I have a personal, individual relationship. In other words... Uh, it's not always uh, been so that, that humanity uh, maybe fully understood. God is saying to us, I can be known. 
I can be known, and I want to know you. Now, he already knows you intimately because he created you, but he wants to have that relationship. He wants you to to know his character and understand who he is and how he thinks and how he operates. So actually, we can become more like him because that's what he created us to be. It says we were made in the image of God, and we're in this process of being pulled by all the forces of this world to look like something else. I mean, that's, you know, if you want to talk about what is the main thing that the enemy is doing, he's trying to distort the original image. He's trying, he has no creativity, right? Like, he doesn't create some new, he simply tries to take what God has created that is perfect and, and good and wonderful, and he tries to distort it. He tries to distract, he tries to deceive uh, because he wants that attention for himself. Well, we're not going to focus on that this morning. Acts chapter 4, if you would, we're going to start in verse 8 and go down a few verses. And says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. This is where they had... Uh, healed on the Sabbath. And so they're like, they got called to task for that. They got in trouble. Do you want to know how he was healed? Verse 10, let me clearly state to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Verse 11, for Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. If we hear about and think about and understand this reality of this future state of heaven, the only way to get to that kingdom is through a relationship with Jesus. And we would affirm that. One more scripture before we move on on this topic. If Flip over to 1 Peter uh, 3.18. These are all going to be on the screen. So it's, uh, I don't hear a lot of pages turning, so... I just thought, don't, I don't want you to feel condemned that I keep saying flip. Um, verse 18 in 1 Peter 3, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. This is a, a crucial part of that. Remember before how we've talked about all of Scripture sort of being one grand story arc. That's what's wrapped up in the message of the gospel of the kingdom is that when things went wrong, because the the enemy came and tempted Eve and Adam and, and sin and death and all the negative things were introduced, the whole story arc is God saying, I'm about the business of setting things back to right. And bringing you back safely home to God. Now, you may have not thought of it this way. Like we read about the Garden of Eden and all the perfection and how Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the night. And we think, that's a cool story. You know, that that sounds great. 
Everything that God is about is about restoring you back to that place. The kind of communion of feeling at home with God, of, of being his friend, of walking with him in the cool of the evening, of having conversation, of realizing, of recognizing and walking in the reality that he is always present. That he's never further away than the length of your arm or the whisper of his name. And that's what the gospel invites us to, to being restored to that reality in ways here on the earth and ultimately at the end of the age when we we actually get fully restored. When God comes and consummates all things, those who have uh, followed him and surrendered to him in relationship will be united, will experience what we refer to as heaven, an eternal state of being at home with God. The next thing, if we're sort of going through these four, is dependency on Jesus as Lord. So we've talked about believing Jesus is who he says he was, having relationship with him, identifying as a Christian, meaning like a little Christ. And that doesn't mean that we're a God. It means that, again, we're part of his image. We're made in his image. And so we are little Christ in that we are Christians. We identify that way. Dependency on Jesus as Lord has to do within the context of this relationship I want to grow in trust. I want to grow in dependency. I want to recognize the lordship of Jesus. Now, it might sound contradictory when we talk about, uh, you know, being his friend and that close communion relationship and how we worship and how, like, and then we talk about his lordship and his majesty and his greatness. You think, well, how do those things go together? Well, it, it's a tension. It's, it's a paradox. But it's also a both and, not an either or. And so God is our friend. He is close. He is tangibly real. He is communing with us. But we also need to recognize his lordship. In other words, if there's a disconnect between what he says and what I say, he's the default. If uh, I'm wanting to do something and he says he wants me to do something different, I should probably go with what he wants. Like he's, he's Lord in that we depend on him because, well, how many of you have, have heard this phrase or this analogy? You know, it's like God sees the big picture and we see, it's good, we see dimly. Like we don't, we don't see everything that's going on. We don't understand all of the realities that are, that are at play. If you remember the illustration I used from a few weeks ago about the dream I had of sort of uh, driving and coming towards this sort of impending crash and there was smoke and dust and it's like there's that moment of entering in and it's like I'm totally blind. I have no idea. You know, I can't depend on my natural senses to guide me in this moment. That's how life can be sometimes. But if we depend on Jesus as Lord, he's not going to steer us wrong. Because he is above it. He has a different perspective. He sees the big picture. And so even if what he's saying to me doesn't make sense, I should learn to trust and depend on him because I've recognized him as Lord. I've said, Jesus, you are God and I am not. And for most of us, that's good news. 
Um, I, I, I have too many examples, and I'm sure each of you do, and we don't want to share them maybe right now because it would be embarrassing, of the times where we've sort of taken control, ignored God's uh, prompting or leading, and driven ourselves straight into a mess. And then all of a sudden, Lord, come help me. Can you get me out of this mess? And he does. He, he, he comes, and he's, he's faithful, and, and he doesn't scold you or condemn you. But part of recognizing that he's Lord is, is becoming more and more obedient, depending on him, trusting in him when we don't know what to do, or even when we think we do, but he says otherwise. Uh, we're going to stay in First Peter, but let's jump back to verse 13 and 14. First Peter 3, 13 and 14. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it later. So don't worry or be afraid of threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Now, there's a couple things to look at there. But the first is simply, again, that, that phrase, worship Christ as Lord of your life, recognizing that he is God and I am not, that he is bigger that he is smarter, that he knows all things. And above all of that, we must also infuse in there and understand beyond the shadow of a doubt, he knows what's best and he wants what's best. He has good plans for you. Like you think of the best things that you have planned for your life, your wildest dreams, your highest and loftiest goals, the things you would just love to see happen, and his plans and goals for you are actually even better than that. We have to trust that as Lord, what he's leading us towards is even better than what we could think or what we could imagine, and we need to worship him as such. Maybe you're in that spot where right now you feel like you're right in the middle of that smoke. It's a perfect time to worship. Jesus, I don't like what's going on. I don't understand it. I'm confused. I don't know which way to go. But I recall, I remember, the last time you were there. You led me. You, you guided me. You got me through. I might have had to do some hard things, but you were with me. How many of you have, have experienced this in life where you go through something really difficult and hard and you come out the other side and you actually feel closer to God? Because of the way that he showed up when things weren't right. It's not always because he swooped in and, and said, oh, no, you don't have to go through that. You know, I'm, I'm going to make everything nice. I'm gonna, you know, no, sometimes it's. Child, I'm going to show you how I can be present with you even when things aren't set to right. I'm going to show you how your circumstances don't have to dictate who you are and how you're doing. Because I'm going to be with you even in the middle of it. And we praise God when he, when he moves the mountain to the side. 
you know, when he routes us through it or around it. Thank God for that. But no matter whether that happens or not, he's with us. And we can worship him from that perspective. Jesus, I, 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 I'm just blown away that you not only are willing, but that you choose to be with me. That you choose to acquaint yourself with the intimate details of my life, to step into my mess, to, to work with me when I'm not listening real good, to just be with me, to know me, and allow me to be known by you. Now, again, we're like mentioning something that could be a whole nother topic. But I want to talk for just a second about this last part. It says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Well, there's a couple things in there. One is, I think sometimes we underestimate or don't realize our lives as Christians should have evidence. In other words, for someone who doesn't know Jesus or who doesn't understand or hasn't entered the kingdom, there should be times and moments where if they're looking at our life from the outside, whether it's a neighbor or a coworker or an acquaintance, they should have regular opportunities to see there's something different going on here. And they may not understand it, but I'm just saying, if, if you're living your life in such a way that it's never questioned by those that don't yet believe on Jesus, then maybe he's inviting you to, to press in for more. It's not, not an area for condemnation. You don't have to, to make things up or pretend or anything like that. But it's like if we really have this hope, if Jesus is really as real as we say he is, it's going to make a difference. Our lives are going to look different. And when that happens, it's going to invite questions. When it invites questions, we should be ready to share. Now, I've told you before, this does not mean that we all need to go take a six-week course on how to, uh, you know, exegete the Romans road and have that in our pocket, you know, when someone comes and asks. What it does mean is with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm looking and I'm listening and I'm paying attention to who might be ready who's asking the question, and simply be willing to share my story. See, you, you may not be real good at memorizing Scripture. You may not be real good at, at, at a number of different ways that are legitimate that you can share the gospel. But one thing every person can do and should always be ready to do is say, this is what God has done for me. And you know the interesting thing? Because a lot of times our hesitation is, well, I don't want to bring this up because I don't want them to argue with me. I'm not sure I'm comfortable defending it. They can't argue when you tell them what God has done for you. They can't. Because that, that's, your, that's your reality that you've lived and experienced. And there's an authenticity that comes when you share that because it's your lived experience. And this is one of the best ways to invite others into their own reality is hearing your authentic story of this is how the kingdom of God and the king of the universe has intersected my life and actually made a difference. Like, I'm different, as, and honestly, that's what they're asking about, isn't it? I had this happen to me one time, and I won't tell the whole story. But uh, some of you know, um, in my young years, I was, uh, I was a theater kid. 
I did lots of plays and musicals, and, and I still really appreciate that art form along with a lot of others. But from my uh, probably early middle school years all the way through college, I mean, I did, you know, two or three shows a year. And I remember one particular show. I actually don't remember which show it was, but I have a very vivid memory of being backstage at the Community College Theater in Southern Illinois where I attended school. And it had just been one of those days. And if you're involved with these types of things, you know what I mean. It's like nothing went right. We're like weeks past the deadline, you know, and it's like everybody's scrambling. Tensions are high. Things are just not working. And now I'm not saying this to, to, to brag on me, but for whatever reason... I, I have to give credit to the Holy Spirit. I just didn't seem to be quite as bothered by some of the stuff that was going haywire. And I remember very vividly someone who I knew for a fact ha- had no saving, not, just like was not a believer, was not interested in church, comes off to the side and says, why does this stuff not bother you as much? Why are you not all, like everybody's freaking out and you seem to be okay. Why? And I was able to share. I, I have a source that I can draw on. Now, I'm honest. You know, I'm not saying I don't, ever, I don't ever get there, right? Like, we don't walk this out perfectly. But in that moment, I was able to share. I have a source that I can draw on that transcends these circumstances. I have someone that has intersected my life in a way that when everything around me is going haywire, I have something bigger that is unshakable, that is untouchable, that, that like I know at the end of the day, even if everything keeps going wrong, if things totally blow up and nothing goes right again, I still know what's coming. I have hope. I have a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And his kingdom has impacted me in a way. And, and the other part of this story is, you know, this is a person I, I had known for a long time. And I was, I may have shared this before. I'm not always been maybe as quite an easygoing person as I am. Is that like the gentlest way to say it? I have not always handled those kinds of circumstances well. I still, ask, ask Brittany, I can still get irritated pretty easily when things are not a certain way or they don't go the way I, I thought they should or i never short on opinions. <laughs> I'm glad nobody said amen. <laughs> but there's something that goes beyond that. And then this brings us to our last point is that we have a future with Jesus for eternity. Now, again, in in a strictly evangelical sort of camp, you know, this is like 101. You know, we're we're saved because we want to spend eternity with Jesus. And that's true, and we affirm that. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures before we wrap up. But the one thing I just want to mention, too, that that is is unique, this is a, a... A main and plain teaching of Jesus. I mean, he says, you know, he says to the thief on the cross, like, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He tells the other place, I prepared a place for you. Like, it's part of the plan. I, I I have a place for you. 
But we also understand, as we contextualize this for us as vineyard people through a kingdom theology lens, that future with God starts now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to just endure the trials of this life and the struggles and the things (coughs) and just sort of hold on until we get to heaven and then everything will be all right. We have a future with Jesus that starts now. It's what he invites us into. Being in the kingdom means I get to... Now, not in every circumstance, right? Again, like because what is God's chief aim and goal as we walk through this life? It's to mold us, to change us, to help us become more like him, more aware of his kingdom reality. So sometimes the reason... Now, we don't understand all of his reasoning because we don't think like him. Sometimes the reason the circumstance doesn't yield and God goes with you through it is he knows that he can use that to shape you and mold you and make you look more like him. And I also like to say hard circumstances build your spiritual endurance muscles. Sometimes God is going to let you and you'd like, I don't get it. I don't like it. Sometimes God is going to let you go through hard things because he knows a harder thing is coming down the road. And he cares about you enough that he wants to build your spiritual endurance muscles so that when that bigger thing comes, it doesn't knock you over. That you're willing in faith to keep up with him and keep going through the next thing. Saying in all things, no matter what, Jesus, you're Lord, you're my friend, and you're with me. And that future reality, I can taste of it now. One of the most famous verses in the whole Bible talks about this. For God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Now now stay in that thought and let's go over to John 5, verse 24. It says, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. They have already passed from death into life. See, we don't have to wait until the end of this life to step into eternal life. The main and plain of the scripture of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it has come, that it is here, that it is available now that we can begin to taste and experience of the things that we long and hope for to experience in their fullness someday. That is the main thing that we're about. And it's not just for us. It's through us to all the people that we have influence over around us, and to the whole world. Remember how we we talked about before that scripture where it says to take the message to Judea and Samaria and the the ends of the earth? Remember how we talked about it's It's not one and then the other in chronological order until you get a big enough church that you can impact the world. It's and. Do all of these things now. So take the gospel of the kingdom to your friends and to your neighbors and, and to your family members. But also take it to those in your community that don't look like you. 
that live in a different zip code than you, that live on the other side of the tracks or live in a tent down by the river. Take it also at the same time to those around the world, which is what we're going to celebrate next week. Through strategic partnerships and through generous giving, we are actually participating in kingdom activity in places like the Ivory Coast of Africa and Mexico. And I mean, Dale has numbers of countries that I couldn't even begin to name them all. His ministry impacts and reaches people. That's the ways that we participate in that. And we need to do it all. It's not an either or, it's a both and. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for my part that you make at least some things main and plain. Where even if we don't feel like we can wrap our minds around all of the nuances and difficult passages of Scripture that you've made some things really clear and accessible to all of us. And you've given us the invitation to step into it. May we never make the mistake of making those secondary things, those gray areas, those debatable things, the central focus. May we always be a church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit but still recognizing our primary mission is the gospel of the kingdom. May we never walk away saying we had cool meetings, but we don't remember the last time someone came to Jesus. Empower us, Jesus, to do both, to keep the main thing the main thing, just as you did here on the earth. We continue your ministry. Help us to go about announcing, proclaiming, demonstrating your kingdom reality so that others can also taste and see that truly, Lord, you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.